Pete had a get together. He was going to have a party that Vivian wanted to go to, etc. He asked my mom and dad if they wanted to go. Dad went. And they didn't stay for long. He took a couple pictures because dad had that nice 35mm camera back then. Took a couple photos and it just seemed like a lot of fun. California lifestyle thing. I thought, wow, dad did that for 30 minutes and then came home. (laughs) But at least he did it. As a family on a budget, my parents made the proud choice to take our family of four on a vacation for a week to California. My father, my mother, my sister, and me. The year was 1968, and this experience would be full of firsts for 11-year-old me. I knew California was where they made movies, TV shows, and maybe I'd see one of the monkeys. Or John Wayne. Could happen. It all seemed more than magical to me, and before we left Illinois, a family friend brought over a booklet which I practically memorized on a place that expanded the perimeters of my mind. This is Life's Learning Curve, and I'm Paul Hart. Stand by. Prior to this, our family had taken vacations one time a year during spring break, or as we used to call it, Easter vacation. Usually my family of four drove our 1960 red Oldsmobile Delta 98 to the Deep South. Back then, we weren't that well communicated and informed. And my parents had no idea that we were driving straight through the heart of Mississippi during the tensions of the Civil Rights Movement. Many stories there. But as they say, that's another podcast. (music) Illinois, 1968. Pre-flight. This would be my first jet flight. I'm 11 years old, and my family sat down and we talked a lot about this. My mom said we would have to dress up in good clothes, and we would also have to use our best manners. And my sister and I agreed. Yeah, we'd do that, sure. Once on the jet, my mom had told us that the flight might get bumpy, there might be some turbulence, but that would be okay and don't worry about it. Bumpy? That sounded good to me. Sounded like a ride. I was all in. I remember that as we flew, there was some turbulence on the flight once we got going. And as any kid would, I looked toward my dad just to see if everything was okay. And he said uh, nothing, but he just smiled, pursed his lips, and nodded his head as if, this is normal, it's all okay, I'm with you. If dad says it's okay, it's going to be okay. Now my mom said that on the plane we'd get a meal. There'd be a meal in our coach section. And she said, well, the food might not be as good as the food the people get in first class, but it's going to be good. My mom always compared all foods to hot dogs. She said, it'll be better than a hot dog, but probably not as good as steak. She said, well, maybe we might get steak. I don't know, but it might be okay. I remember when the stewardess came around and asked us if we'd like to choose between chicken or fish. We had a choice. I chose chicken, please. 
asked my dad if it would be okay if I had a soft drink, a Coke. Now, everything was Coke, whether it was root beer, 7-Up, some sort of ginger ale, whatever. We just said, Coke, can I have a, a Coke? And my dad nodded his head and smiled and said, yes, you can have a Coke. That was a big thing because when I was that age, you had to ask permission to have a soft drink, and it wasn't very often I got to have a soft drink. So on the plane, this was a big deal. I asked probably for a Coca-Cola, and they gave me Coca-Cola, and they gave me the rest of the can. Wow. Would this generosity never end? I was surprised because a stewardess came up to my sister and me. My sister's three years older, as I said. She squatted down and she began to talk to both of us on the jet. Now, back then, they were called stewardesses, not flight attendants. She asked us where we were going, and we proudly told her this was our first jet flight, and we were very excited. She asked what grade we were in, if our grades were good, if we liked our teachers, etc. She showed what I thought was genuine interest in us. And for a kid, being shown any interest at that age is just plain awesome. It seemed to me at that point that this vacation was a place that was going to be just tremendous. After all, we were going to the place where movies were made, where TV shows were produced. It's also Disneyland. Wow, what could be greater? It was like a kid's destination heaven. It was amazing. Right now, I want to go back just a little bit, one step backward before the vacation. A friend of ours had come over and dropped off a booklet, and it was a booklet on Disneyland. My dad looked through it, and my mother looked through it. My sister looked through it, too, a little bit longer, and then it was my turn. I took that booklet, and I looked at each page. and went back and looked at it again and again, and I saw that Disneyland was this seemingly magical place that there were not only rides but there was something called attractions attractions right i didn't know what the difference was but i knew i would find out and i did prior to leaving i looked at that booklet every night for two weeks by doing this i practically memorized this thing I knew that the park was divided up into different lands, so Tomorrowland, Adventureland, Fantasyland, etc. I knew that if you walked this way, you'd come to something called a people mover. If you went this way, you'd go to the Matterhorn. I just couldn't wait. Soon we arrived in Anaheim. And we rented a car, and I recall we drove through California, and it had the tallest palm trees, or the only palm trees I'd ever seen in my life at that time. And it was amazing to me. It looked really different than Illinois. It looked special. It seemed more colorful. It seemed cleaner. It seemed like I was in a really special place. I remember that my dad found a hotel that was adjacent to the Disneyland parking lot. When we looked out of our small hotel room, we could see first the parking lot of Disneyland. Then if you looked 
Much farther, you could see the entrance of Disneyland. You could see the Matterhorn. That's the thing that's stuck up out of the landscape. For those of you that aren't aware, the Matterhorn was a roller coaster ride that went in and out of this mountain created by the Disney people. I was really excited. When we went to bed that night, we knew we were going to go to the park the next day. Keep in mind, this is before Disney World even existed. We all went to bed, in sequence as usual. My sister, me, my mom, and then finally my dad, who shut off the lights and made sure everything was locked up and ready to go. Again, so excited. I could feel the whole room just kind of relax, and pretty soon there was the heavier breathing people were asleep, including my dad, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep at all. I couldn't wait to get to the theme park tomorrow. And I thought about it. It, it. it turned into that situation just like before Christmas when you go to bed because you're anticipating so much. Your relatives coming over, your grandparents, your cousins, you know, a nice meal, um, opening presents. It's going to be a special, special day. It turned into about 1.30 a.m. and I'm still awake. I believe I went to bed at 8.30. I'm still laying there. And I got up out of bed and quietly walked over to the window and pulled the curtains apart just a little bit. And in the darkness, I could see the long Disneyland parking lot and what seemed to be magic sparkling at the entrance to the theme park. But even at nighttime, Disneyland looked amazing. I didn't sleep very well that night. But when morning came, adrenaline kicked in, and I was ready to go. A word that was used to define the people that created Disneyland. They were called Imagineers. And I thought that was a, a great word. Imagineers. People that their job is to create something with their minds, but it might be a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of technology, a whole lot of this, a whole little of that. They get to create for a living. How fun, how great. I'd like to be an Imagineer. I won't go through the entire day, but I do remember certain flashes of images. One was a brand new Adventure in Disneyland, 1968. It was called Pirates of the Caribbean. And this is before the whole film series. Um, it was just about this kind of raucous adventure. When you wait in line at a Disney theme park, you're not just in a line. You're in this environment that gets you ready for the ride. You know, and it might just be at the end of the line, there's some pirate memorabilia, some pirate-themed things. But as you get closer, you start to hear music, and you pretty much get wrapped up in, I don't think I'm really at Disneyland anymore. I think I'm in an environment where there's pirates, and I better be careful. It's like so many things that you think of when you're a child, and you apply the fantasy and the fun to it, and it just becomes even better. So by the time we got into the cart, as I call it, and it's floating in water, and we rode on this cart 
through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, I now understood what an attraction was. It wasn't a ride like in a carnival. Oh, there were some elements of splashing and going down this and that. But mostly it was these great pirate images. And and, uh, we called them uh, animated robots. That's what my family called them back then. They looked real. And they seemed real. And they were funny. And they were a little bit scary, too. And the boat would float through the water, and you'd go from one scene to another. I understood that this was special. And this was unique. This was created by Imagineers. From our Disney experience, we got into our rental car and drove to Hermosa Beach, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Why Hermosa Beach? Well, my mom had a friend named Vivian, and she lived in Hermosa Beach, and we were going to stay there the rest of the week. And she was quite a treat. She smiled and she laughed a lot, and she liked kids, didn't have kids of her own because she was single. She lived in a small but roomy house just off of Pacific Coast Highway, and it was on the hill that sloped down going to the beach, Hermosa Beach. Orange and lime trees grew in her backyard and smelled wonderful. We enjoyed watching my mom and Vivian reconnect. They had been old friends from quite a few years back. And my mom explained to us ahead of time, she said, Now Vivian does not smoke or she doesn't drink alcohol. And she was raised in a very strict farm town back in Illinois, and now she's, of course, out in California. So we knew to be on our best behavior. When my dad knocked on the door, the door opened, and there was Vivian. And she was holding a cigarette and holding a drink, a Bloody Mary. And she said, come on in. One of the most interesting things about Vivian was that she was a counselor at Hollywood High School. Now, a counselor does everything from uh, talking to kids about uh, problems or working through solutions to scheduling. So there's a whole you know, wide array of things they do or did back then. And I can remember one day she came home talking about this really bright student she had named John Ritter. John Ritter was one of the kids that she scheduled. She said, he's so bright and he's so funny. He's going to go someplace. Just wait for, just wait down the road. You're going to hear about this guy. And of course, he's the John Ritter we know from Three's Company, etc. But one of the things I noticed in her house that was unusual to me was this button by the front door. It was a little round button and it said, Sesame on it. Sesame. What did that mean? Well, when Vivian came home that day, I found out. She said, Paul, watch this. And she took her hand and she pushed this button and her garage door went up all by itself. Oh my gosh. They've got more magic here in California than anywhere else. This is before anybody really had garage door openers. Now we all have garage door openers for the most part. And it's so easy. We take them for granted. But back then, this was something pretty special. (laughs) And 
I had that urge as an 11-year-old. I really wanted to push that button constantly. And that's also a guy thing, incidentally. Guys like when you press buttons and things happen. You press the button and the drapes open. You press a button. Very James Bond-like things. But uh, we like gadgets and things. If, if you turn something on, it needs to light up. We get that satisfaction. I tell an old story about the Illinois tollway system where when I was a kid, you'd drive up to a toll booth and there was a gate that came down and you'd put your money in the toll booth you'd throw it in, you'd hear it clank around, and when the money went in, it went ding, and then the, the, the arm came up, and you could drive away. And I will never forget the day they took the ding out of it. Now you go to a toll booth if you're going to pay money, and you hand the money over, and there's no ding. What's going on with that? Now, one of the more interesting stories from our time in California that I recall had to do with my dad. My dad was a World War II veteran. He was in the Marine Corps, and he was on an aircraft carrier that went all over the Pacific. But for a while, they were stationed, I shouldn't say stationed, but they were assigned to just go up and down the West Coast from Washington State down to the bottom of California. And when they did stop at port, they would often go in to port. And as my dad said, they would play a lot of baseball. They played a lot of cards, etc., to pass the time. But in Los Angeles, there was a man, probably a philanthropist of some kind, who opened his home, it was a mansion, opened his home to all the military. It was like a USO, but it wasn't USO. It was just this man giving a gift back to the servicemen. Come to my home. And my dad said there would be unlimited uh, food and drinks and uh, hospitality. And it was all on the up and up. There wasn't anything shady about this. He remembered this guy's name. And my dad had taught to him at great length over the years. And so he always said to my dad, Bob, when you're in California, if you ever get back here, come look me up. So there's one day my dad got up. He said, you know what? I'm going to go find my friend. And I believe his name was Ron. I'm going to go find Ron. He said, I've got his address. So we all got into the rental car. And we drove, and we drove. And back then, there was no GPS. There were maps, but a map of Los Angeles is reading like reading a map of Chicago. I mean, it's big. It's, it's quite big. So it took us a while, and we stopped at a lot of gas stations and asked for directions. But we finally found the block that Ron lived on. And these houses were beautiful. It wasn't in Beverly Hills, but it was another area of Los Angeles that just looked Magnificent! It was gorgeous. We parked the car. My dad said, well, I'm going to go up to the gate and ask. So I remember dad getting out of the car. And we were excited for him because this seemed to be someone who was quite special in my dad's life. My dad's father passed away when he was three years old. So uh, he oftentimes um, looked up to people that were good role models. 
mentors, as we call them today. It was a home away from home for some of these guys. So we waited in the car, and I can remember it getting hot, so we rolled the windows down. Uh, that was a strange thing. Normally, we would sit and get antsy and want to get out and do things, but we were so excited for my dad. And suddenly, we saw my dad, and he was coming back. And it, I'd say probably 40, 45 minutes had passed. And he got into the car, and he said, uh, Well... Ron passed away a couple months ago. And he said, gee, I wish we had come out here sooner. And that was one of the first times I thought to myself, I wish we had come sooner. Not because I needed to see California, but so my dad could see this guy, his friend Ron, one more time. Now, in the evenings, when Vivian would come home from work at Hollywood High School, she would tell us what went on during the day. And I'm thinking, what does Hollywood High School look like? I was in elementary school at the time, but I'm thinking, you know, are there cameras? I mean, I didn't know. I had no idea. Turns out it was a high school. She'd say, who wants to go on a tour? We'd jump into the car, and we drove through downtown Hollywood. These are all the tourist areas. We saw the footprints of Grauman's Chinese Theater. We saw the Hollywood sign, which was super cool. I thought, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I'd seen it so many other places, in advertising and in, and in promotions and things like that. We drove through Beverly Hills. We got to see the beautiful homes. She also showed us where a lot of the TV studios were, where Warner Brothers was, Paramount, etc., Gower Studios, uh, uh, Old Columbia, I think it was. That week, we took another drive around town. My sister stayed back. When we got home, she called my mom into the hallway of Vivian's house, and I remember hearing her crying. Sometimes we have memories of vacations and other things in life that are so clear to us, but when you talk to the person that was standing right next to you or right with you, it's a whole different story, and that's why I have my sister Sue here today to help clarify some of my California memories. What is your cat's name? Emma. This is Emma. That's Emma. Emma. And Emma loves Emma. TV for some reason. Um, so That's right. I was telling everybody about your sunburn experience. Can you explain that? You have to remember, you were still, uh, I don't know how old you were, maybe 11 or 12. I was 11. When I was 16, what I really yeah. cared about going to California was the beach. I just yeah, wanted to right. go to the beach. That's all I wanted to do. So, yeah. <clears throat> I don't remember. I remember everything else, but that was the thing that really yeah. stuck out. You know, I was 16, say no more. All I really wanted to do was get a tan when I was in California. And um, mom and dad and you and Vivian and everybody were going, I don't know, on a drive or to go see something. And it was like the last thing I wanted to do. And so I begged and begged and I, they said, yeah, you can, you can just lay out in the sun in the backyard. So there was a picnic table back there. So I put my towel down on the picnic table and I got my little suit on and I laid down. And at some point, the sun felt so good and it, mm -hmm. it felt like I fell asleep. Yeah. And yeah. 
until they got back. And it was apparently several hours. I was unbelievably sunburned just on my, on my backside, but my whole backside, so that I was getting like cramps and like leg cramps and back cramps. And yeah. so at night, they decided that, that if they made a baking soda paste, yeah. put it on the back, um, that would help me. What was in the baking soda paste? Do you remember? Was it just baking soda? Baking soda and water, I think. Okay. I don't know. We were in the living room. I remember I laid down on the on the floor, and I remember them putting this baking soda paste all over my back and my mm-hmm. leg. And it, it didn't. I didn't think it helped, but they were thrilled that they had something that they thought would, <laughs> would draw the out. Now I've heard putting putting baking soda paste on like a a bee bite or something. <laughs> the sting out but I remember I think you had to sleep with that on through the night wasn't that the case you slept on the floor face down uh, I remember mom saying to me very sternly don't step on your sister like I was going to go over there and step on you you know it was just that hyper parent I'm so worried about you that you know I'm going to tell you the state the very obvious like I'd go over and dance on you or something I don't know anyway the next day I woke up we were going home and then we went to the airport yeah and I think Vivian, you know, remember I was 16, mm-hmm. so Vivian brought everybody, I don't know, my ties or something in the morning for... Well, I didn't get one. Yeah, no, you were too small. Yeah. But she brought me my own bottle of champagne, and and, and Mom was like, oh my, oh my, no, she's not, she's 16. And Vivian said, well, I started drinking when I was 16, well, she lived on a farm, you know, I mean... <laughs> That's a pastime. Not only would she not let me take the champagne with me on the plane, that's when you could take just about anything. Yeah, right. But um, she wouldn't let me have a sip of the Mai Tai either. <laughs> so anyway, there was a fine farewell of the Got on the plane, mm-hmm. and I sat out very gingerly, sat down on the plane. And um, I don't remember if I had, we had all seats together or not. I don't remember yeah. that. There was one of the um, attendants, the flight attendants, was a man, and he had a big black mustache. He looked sort of like Tom Selleck at that point. Oh, okay. And he was a bunny suit. And so... <laughs> because it was, was Easter, going, right? And I don't even know. He was passing the eggs or whatever, and he kept looking at me, and I was like, oh, please, I don't even want an Easter egg. I was in so much pain. And he sees me, and he finally gets to me, and instead of handing me an egg, he sat down on my lap. (laughs) And I screamed. I'm surprised I didn't land the plane. I screamed (laughs) so hard. And it wasn't because he sat down on my lap. It was because I was in such pain. Yeah, just moving. He hopped up like a little buddy so fast. (laughs) I can't even tell you. I was thinking about how much airline travel has changed over the years. I think before it was the experience itself, and now people are so, are flying so much that it's not really a a, a, a new experience for most people. Yeah. Make sure your seatbelt is not fastened and to make yourself comfortable. Thank you. One of Vivian's good friends was her friend Pete. Well, Sue, what do you remember about Pete? Pete was like a 
he wasn't an admiral, but he was maybe one step below an admiral. He was really high up in the Navy, and he took us. Do you remember he took us to um, the officers' club? Mm-hmm. We had a delicious dinner. I got all dressed up, and we went to. And again, I was 16, so yeah. I was very impressionable. And first of all, all the men there were just like I thought they were just like dreamy gorgeous. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> However, I never said anything about that. I just, yeah. it was sort of yeah. a magical night. And then he had a place, he had a house right on the ocean that kind of um, oh, came yeah. over the ocean. I don't know if you remember that or not. Was yes, I do. It, it, it overlooked, uh, it was on the other side of Pacific Coast Highway, and it was on a hill. We all went over there, and it was daytime. It was late afternoon. My gosh, what's more gorgeous than Southern California. Late afternoon, the sun is setting in the ocean, and that's when we get there. And Pete lived on this hill. We park the car, rent a car on the hill. We get out, and we go inside, and everything's fairly normal. And when we walk in, there's that family room, which was, it seemed to me to be about 60 feet wide, but it wasn't that big. But it seemed to be that wide. How wide do you think that was? In my brain, it's it was 60 feet wide. I think it was like it was probably 25 feet wide. Oh, okay. Well, being a little kid, it was 60 feet wide. <laughs> it was a big room, and it was a big wall of windows. Well, I remember standing there and looking out this window, and there's the Pacific Ocean. There's the sun going down. The water uh, and the sun are coming together as one. It's all turning orange and red. And, again, that just enhanced the, this is just magic thing to me. Yeah, I, I could have stayed there all day. And I remember maybe a night later, Pete had a get-together. He was going to have a party that Vivian wanted to go to, etc. And he asked my mom and dad if they wanted to go. And um, I remember dad went. And they didn't stay for long. He took a couple pictures because dad had that nice 35mm camera back then. Took a couple photos. And it just seemed like a lot of fun. California lifestyle thing. I thought, wow, dad did that for 30 minutes and then came home. <laughs> but at least he did it. I remember Vivian calling mom and saying Pete died. And it was, I don't even know how old they were, maybe late 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been murdered at his mountain house. Wow. And everything was still there, like his wallet was still there, nothing else was touched, he was just murdered. And so they thought that maybe, you know, like a family member did it, or somebody that knew him did it, because there was no sign of, you know, nobody broke in. No robbery, nothing, and um, they finally went up to look for him because he didn't show up at work. But, um, uh, yeah, they never really solved that mystery. And, of course... Now, we did go back there, I think, when you were older and when I was older. And I'm going to say in between 7th and 8th grade for me. um, And uh, we had a whole different experience. That's the time mom got together with her ex-roommate from college, Holly Harris. Do you remember that? And we went, she and her husband, who was a director. Some background on that, Holly Harris. Yeah, please. Holly was um, 
went to high school with mom. Okay. After high school, they both moved to New York. They were roommates. During the war, right? Yeah. And Holly had decided she wanted to go into show business. She wanted to be an actress. And mom was a, a legal secretary back then. But anyway. Oh, okay. So Holly actually got some roles on Broadway and acted on Broadway. And so they knew all the big... Kiss Me Kate. Here, yes, all the big stars at the time and everything. She did marry this guy, but this guy was a director that was well-known. You just didn't see the movie. He helped direct um, Born Free. Oh, really? Yes. Well, and we they were good. Yeah. Did we? And I, I don't this is a, I don't know if you remember. They had a huge boa constrictor. No, I don't remember this at all. Oh, yeah. And it was in the bathtub. I guess it was staying in the bathtub. And some... <laughs> was it guest or... So and I, I yanked up my legs so fast. I thought, a boa constrictor. I'm not happy with this. And then they had like a, <clears throat> a cougar or something caged out in the backyard. But anyway, so... Yeah, and they had a lovely home. Really a nice home. We went to... Universal Studios, and it was before Universal Studios was Universal Studios as far as uh, the public coming for attractions and things like that. And it was more of a small back lot at the time. Uh, and we had lunch there. I remember it being really nice and cool. Just all, the weather was always really great when we were the out there. We yeah. ate at the concert. Open air canopy bus. Yeah to um, some of the sets. And I remember oh. seeing the house that, um, the house from Psycho. Yes. And I, because I had just seen Psycho not too long ago. <laughs> Still can't uh, take a shower, right? Yeah, I'm not going in that house, but yeah. yeah. And then there were a couple sets of um, like Westerns, you know, like Western towns. Yes, Westerns. Because you you realize that it was just the facade; it wasn't it wasn't yeah. anything. Big. And then um, I remember we went past the house of Leave It to Beaver. Mm-hmm. Remember the show Leave It to Beaver? Yeah. And um, it was all set. It wasn't just the house; it was like the whole sidewalk that they, you know, and the houses around it that they also built. Do you remember the closing of that show when he and Wally would they were coming off the school bus and they would just roll credits as they walked home and played the music and he'd go up and down the curb. I don't know if you remember that one. Because it went to the music. It's pretty amazing. We had an amazing time in California that year so long ago. The state has changed greatly since then, but my memories are still strong, and that says a lot for this destination and the people that we encountered. My sister and I benefited greatly from this experience with stories and photos and great memories. But I I wouldn't be surprised if our first big family vacation to California in 1968 had a great deal to do with the people my mom and dad knew were already there. For my mom, finding her friend Vivian again proved that distance is just a test to see how far friendship can travel. And for that man who gave soldiers a home away from home during World War II, 
I'm sure this reminded my dad that this guy, Ron, was a great mentor that allowed my father to see hope and great potential inside himself. For Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. assembled by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Don Buck, Dave Charles, and S.T. Dog. We are mixed by Austin Rogan, technical director Heidi Cerner, musical assistance by Riles Hartley. On this show, special thanks to Sue Hart. Visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.buzzsprout.com. Don't forget to choose the like or subscribe button. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more stories from Life's Learning Curve. We're clear.